Pastor Chris's podcast. I love that song that we sang, Rise Up, O Men of Faith, and you just get this, this, this feeling, you hear this call that we are to rise up, and it's not just men of faith, it's women of faith too, it's all people who trust in Christ to rise up and to be the church, because it doesn't, you know, the world doesn't change, and Christ's love doesn't go out to the whole world, and things don't get better unless men of faith and women of faith and old people of faith and children of faith rise up to be his people and to be the hands and feet of Christ. When the church is true to Christ, we are his hands and feet. We are his body. We are the perfect image of God. Our respect for the image of God means that all human life is sacred and must be respected equally. And there's a lot of things in the world that need to be reformed so that we can live out and treat people the way they need to be be treated. And when the church has done it, it has helped to truly change the way people are treated. And it still is able to change hearts today. Unfortunately, sometimes the church has not always represented Christ well. When we have misunderstood Christ's teachings or used the church to pursue our own selfish ambitions... We distort the beautiful image of Christ. But we shouldn't judge Jesus or his teachings by those who fail to follow them. Instead, let us consider how the church has made the world radically better when it is faithful to Christ's teachings. And let us resolve today to set aside our own selfish ambitions and to take up our cross daily and to follow Christ. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson penned the beautiful revolutionary idea that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, our founding fathers in America didn't just pluck those ideas out of thin air. They actually gleaned them from biblical Christian teaching. Jewish and Christian sacred texts hold that all people bear the sacred image of God. And thus, we are all loved by God and we are all sacred to him. And that ought to change the way we treat one another. And our founding fathers recognized that and wanted to institute that into the very foundation of this new nation they were trying to build. In our time, we take for granted that all human life is sacred. We just think people have always thought that, but it has not been so. People have not always believed this. In fact, ancient societies did not believe it at all. Now it is true that kings and pharaohs and Caesars were sometimes thought to bear the image of God or to be God-like themselves, but not ordinary people, and especially not children, or the elderly, or slaves, or the infirm. Consider this, because we have record that shows. This one instance, for instance, in 1 BC, in 1 BC, remember Jesus was just toddling around, learning how to walk, learning how to talk. In 1 BC, a Roman soldier named Hilarion was stationed far away from home and from his pregnant wife. So he wrote a letter to his wife 
to give her some instructions and to give her some encouragement, let him know, let his pregnant wife know he was going to send some money to help her with the things that were going on at home and also that he would be coming along sometime soon. And so he wrote a home to his pregnant wife a letter. And he tells her, if the baby you're having is a boy, you should keep it. But if the baby is a girl, throw it out. If the baby you're having is a boy, keep it. If the baby is a girl, throw it out. And what's more, even more striking about this horrific thing that he says in the letter, he just mentions it in passing. This is not what the letter is about. I mean, he's sending her information instructions. He's like, you know, you need to go to the grocery store and get this and this and this and this. And your aunt's going to be coming by in a little while. And if it's a boy, keep it. And if it's a girl, throw it out. And, um, you know, I'll be sending some money home soon. He just sort of throws that in there. And we hear it and we're like, what? But for him, it was not even the main point of the letter. It was just kind of something that he threw in there. The life of the child, which we hold to be sacred and worthy of dignity and respect and protection for Hilarion and his community was just a thing to be kept or discarded like, uh, like you were throwing out an old rug you didn't need anymore. We would, we would see this as incredibly cruel and immoral. We would immediately arrest Hilarion and his wife if they ever throughout a child. But the people in Hilarion's day would have not thought much of it. It would not have been considered cruel or immoral. In fact, it was expected of good citizens to act this way in Greek and Roman culture. It was considered a danger to society to keep unwanted or disabled children. It was common practice in the ancient world for families to simply expose to the elements unwanted or deformed children. Exposure meant that they would simply set the child out on the street corner and forget about it until it died of exposure. Or maybe a wild animal came along or, or something possibly even worse. Someone would come and take it and turn it into a slave or put it into prostitution this is just the way people did. Ironically, ironically, people who were too soft-hearted to do their civic duty were seen as weak or even uncivilized. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher who's lauded by historians and scholars, recommended that there should be a law drafted to prevent the rearing of deformed children. Because it, he said it weakened society. This practice seems horrific and evil to us today. But suppose by some crazy ability you were able to be transported back into time and go visit Hilarion and his wife and try to convince them not to, grow, to throw out an unwanted daughter. What argument would you make? You might say, you can't do that. It's cruel and it's evil and it's immoral. And Hilarion and his wife would say, why? Hilarion and his neighbors would counter it and they would say it was cruel to let an unwanted child live. 
that it weakened society, that the child had no useful purpose, that, there would, that, it, that it would be un, an unnecessary drain on family and society. You see, the only way you could really make your point reasonably is to call upon your religious upbringing and the values that we hold true, that we have grown to become part of us from 2,000 years of following Christian teaching. Something that they did not have. You see, in the ancient non-Christian, non-Jewish world, people believed that a child's worth was based upon its capacity to contribute to the family and society. It's potential. And our outrage at the exposure of an infant reveals that we have a very different fundamental belief about life. We believe that all life is sacred, especially the life of a helpless infant. We feel compelled to stand up for the weak and the vulnerable and the voiceless. Where do we get this urge? The answer is found in scripture. All the way back in the very beginning of the story in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 27, as God is talking about how he created all of the world and he created people, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And Genesis 1, 27 tells us that Every person is created in the image of God. And throughout scripture, we are reminded to respect and protect people because they bear God's sacred image. God loves them. And we are to love and to respect people too. The reason we don't murder people is because they are made in God's image. And to take another person's life is an attack on God himself. Genesis 9, 6 spells it out. It says, if anyone takes a human life, that person will also have their life taken for God made human beings in his own image. In other words, he's saying, you can't murder someone because you are attacking the image of God if you do it. Their life is sacred. Thankfully, the civilized world no longer exposes unwanted children. The reason is because Jesus came and he showed us the perfect image of God and established the church to carry out his mission on earth. And for 2000 years, the church has been working to transform the way the world thinks. So many of the blessings that we enjoy today started with Christ and came to fruition through his church. Consider, because of the church, we have laws forbidding the abandonment of children. The Christian church led the Roman Empire to establish laws forbidding the exposing of children. You know, this was the Roman Empire before it even became a Christian empire. 
They were the ones that were throwing out these children. And the Christians, this small minority of people were the ones who came in and said, no, 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 you can't be doing this. And here's why. And of course, at first, the Romans were, were like, well, why not? This is what we've always done. It makes perfect sense. But through time, through the example, the loving example of Christians and through their preaching and through their, their, the way they lived their lives, they began to turn the Roman Empire around until the Roman Empire itself wrote laws that say, you can't do this anymore. It's wrong to dispose of these babies. Because of the church, we have orphanages. Because the Christian church, realizing that these children that were formerly being thrown out, now they, they had to have a way to be taken care of. And so they founded the very first orphanages and foster care systems to take care of unwanted children. Think about this. How many millions of people are alive today because Christians changed the world's view about abandoning these children. Think about this too. I know that you're sitting here today or you're with us online. You don't know the names of your ancestors who were living in the first few centuries of this millennia under the Christian era, back in 200 AD. You don't know who they were. But how many of us might not be alive today because one of our ancestors was one of those unwanted children that was going to be discarded. But the Christian church took them in and raised them and changed the world so that they'd stopped discarding these children. Because of the church, we have public hospitals. You think we always had public hospitals? Did you think in 500 BC, you could just go to the hospital when you got COVID or the black death or whatever it was that you got? The early church invented the idea of public hospitals. Because you see, if you were rich, of course, in the ancient world, if you were rich, you could go pay a doctor to take care of you. But if you were poor, there's no place for you to go. And Christian said, all people, all people are created in the image of God and deserve to be cared for, whether they can afford it or not. And so the church invented public hospitals where everyone, rich and poor alike, could receive care because we are all sacred and loved by God. Christians believe that all people should be cared for when they are sick because they are made in the image of God. Before the church era, the infirm, the elderly, the deformed, the outcast were seen as disposable and were often abandoned because they could not contribute to society. The church changed this way of thinking, establishing the first hospitals to care for everyone, monasteries to care for widows and rest homes for the elderly whose families, who did not have family to take care of them. Because of the church, we have the abolition of slavery. Church teaching led to the ending of slavery. Early Christians often would purchase freedom for slaves or rescued them by other means. 
Eventually, Christians led the fight to abolish slavery in Europe and in America. You can't own someone as property because they are made in the image of God. How can you own them? Their life is sacred to God who made them to be free and only under the authority of one master. You remember what Jesus said? He said, man cannot serve two masters. And of course, if you're a slave, you have a master on earth, but you also have a master in heaven. Christians looked at this and they said, this is not right. And whenever they could, they would buy the freedom of a slave. And then, of course, we know that through history, it took a long, long time. And man, we wish it would have happened faster. But eventually, Christian philosophy took over people's hearts and minds to the point that today we do not have slavery. Because of the church, we have free legal representation. You see, today in America, you have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, the court will provide one for you for free. Do you know how that started? In the early Christian church, uh, you'd go to court. You had to pay court fees. Of course, rich people could afford to pay it. And they could afford to pay for someone to, to advocate for them. They could pay the bribes that often were required in order to get justice in the ancient world. Poor people could not afford this. The church looked around and said, this is not fair. This is not right. So they started paying to help poor people get fair legal representation. Eventually, this was adopted by the Roman Empire when it became a Christian empire. So that they began to practice this method of providing uh, for court fees and uh, for justice for rich and for poor. And today we have taken this idea from those ancient Christians in America. And we provide free legal representation to everyone, even if they can't afford it. So we see in all of these things that Christ's church has beautifully transformed our worlds in countless ways that we take for granted. Many people who are not even Christians today who would never set foot inside a church benefit from the very ideas that the Christian church through Christ's teaching helped to bring into our world. And you would have a hard time defending these ideas as being right and proper if you had no connection whatsoever to Christian philosophy. Of course, the church has not always been faithful to Christ's example and teaching. And it is very destructive when people stray away from Christ or when they try to use religion for their own selfish gain. And so we must always be on guard, realizing that the image of God within us is broken and distorted by our sin. We do not naturally do the right thing. That is why Christ had to come as the perfect image of God to atone for our sin and to set our feet back on the right path and to give us his Holy Spirit to continue day by day to show us the way and to encourage us to stay on the right path. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. When the church is true to Christ, we are his body, the perfect image of God. Our respect for the image of God means that all human life is sacred and must be respected equally. This helps change the way people are treated and is still changing hearts and minds today. We still have a lot of work to do. We look around at the world, we see that there's still so much brokenness, still so much suffering. There's still injustice. There's still oppression. But the answer is not found in human reasoning. It's not found in a college degree. It's not found in our politics or another political leader. It's not found in government programs of charity. It's not found in nation building. It is found only in Christ and his teaching and his truth and his way of living. And so we must surrender. We must throw our hands up in the air and realize we can't do it on our own. We must recognize that on our own, we can't do it. We cannot live however we please. We must recognize that only Jesus is Lord. We must repent of our sins and pledge our lives and our livelihood to him and him alone. And then we must be faithful to follow Jesus. We must be the church he calls us to be. We must rise up as men of faith and as women of faith which Colossians 1.18 says is the church and is Christ's body. And so today I want to plead with you to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus. A world without Christ is a very dark place. And a life without Christ ends in eternal death and damnation. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Serve the Lord and help save the world. It's that simple. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for instilling within each and every human heart your sacred image. Forgive us, O oh Lord. 
for denying that image in so many different ways. For denying it in ourselves and denying it in others so that we treat one another with scorn. And we seek only to take care of our own selfish needs and wants. And we forget that every person is special and worth something in your eyes. Forgive us, O Lord, and help us to find grace in Jesus Christ, who gave his life for our sake. Help us to bend our knees and to turn to him and to cry out for forgiveness and to repent of our sins and commit to serve him as our Lord. And when he says, come, follow me, help us be willing to leave everything else behind and follow and to live as he did, even when it means denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us join with those faithful Christians from throughout history, Christians who, who dedicated their lives and their livelihood to the cause of Christ, sharing his love and his salvation and your grace with people everywhere. Help this, O oh Lord, to be our mission and help us to be faithful to it. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.